Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. So I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The Word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. You may be seated. Some more good news. I talked to one of the gentlemen who was at our first experience afterwards, and he brought up to me his phone, and he had his calculator app open, and he showed me a number. It's 48,000 and some change. And he says, that is the student loan of mine that was just canceled. He had gotten an advanced degree, and God just canceled it for him. So when we say, I received supernatural debt cancellation, you better get your feet working. Because I don't know about you, but that happens to me all the time. Amen. I just thought you would appreciate that good news. So the next 25. So let's do a review about what we've done this year. In the beginning of this year, at the end of last year, in the beginning of this year, we talked about crossing over the horizon. We taught you study the book of Joshua for two and a half months and talked about what God did in the children of Israel before they crossed over and what they did after they crossed over. Because we understand it's one thing to cross into your promised land is another thing to possess the land. And so we talked about how we crossed over into our promised land in March, how we got into this 24.4 acres of land and this phase one of our building. Even though there's a lot more we need to do, but we're thankful that we're here. Anybody else thankful for what God has done already? So we talked about that at the beginning of the year. And then throughout the year, we declared that we are overcomers who are going to live lives that overflow with every good thing. This summer, we talked about the importance of going viral. All of this year, we have been leading to today and the next 25. So go to Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. And if you miss any of these series, I encourage you to go to our website or our podcast. We put all of our series up for free so you can catch up with us and grow in your faith. And how many of you have the YouVersion Bible app? Now, if you open that Bible app and you go to the More tab and the Events section, you'll see Notes. You'll see Faith Christian Center, the next 25. You can follow along with me and have the notes and the vision and mission statement that we're going to go over. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. And every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness... And this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not, be, shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you, nor forsake you. Be strong and have a good courage. For unto, the, for unto this people you shall divide for inheritance of the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. So as they continue, Joshua receives his instructions for God what he's supposed to do. But after he receives it, he goes to the people and relays to them what God said. 
So you can get down to verse 16 and see some of the tribes answer. And they answered Joshua. Now, some of the greatest heroes in the Bible are named they. Because we think about Joshua. But Joshua couldn't do what he was about to do if it wasn't a they. We think about David. David couldn't do what he did if there wasn't a they. Jesus couldn't accomplish his mission without a they. So although you may not know everyone's name in there, but they are a hero in God's eyes. And they, say they, answered Joshua saying, all that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. According as we listened unto Moses in all things, this younger generation did. So will we hearken unto you, only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whosoever he be that does rebel against your commandment and won't listen to your words and all that you command him will make him an offer he can't refuse. Notice how serious they are about this. No one is going to get away with it. That's why Achan's sin was treated so harshly because it said he didn't listen to what God said through the man of God. But notice their response, only be strong and of a good courage. So notice their response. They said, wherever you say to go, we're going to go. Whatever you say to do, we're going to do. Notice the attitude of the people. It's a whatever it takes, I'm all in. We are all in for the purpose of possessing the promised land. As we share this year, just like Joshua, it would take courage, strength, and dedication to the word of God for us to step into our God-ordained future. Just like we've crossed into our promised land here on Tremor Point Parkway, we are beginning the future God has for us. And so in the spring after we got here, I began to sit down with every single team of Team Faith. We have about one or two teams left. I've sat down with more teams today. And I sat down with them, and I asked them questions. And I said, what are some things you have noticed that you think I need to be made aware of? Because a lot of people want to think, well, the pastor sees everything and knows everything. That would be great, but that is wrong. Oh, the pastor knows, probably doesn't. But the thing is, I believe that the people who come here notice things. So I believe in asking questions. So I would gather them in between the experiences and after, and we'd ask questions. Let them ask me questions. Let them get clarity. And so we've done that all through the spring. We paused in the summer because I had a baby. And my sleep was cut short. And so we just picked it up again recently, a few more teams. And so they've given me suggestions and ideas and questions that I've answered, providing a list and begin to reply to that. Why? Because I understand this principle. When they cross the horizon into the promised land, they had to reorganize. They couldn't just live how they lived in the wilderness. Because now wilderness living is over. It's time to possess the promised land. See, they were used to living with Krispy Kreme donuts that fell from heaven. God sent the manna every single day. He caused fried chicken, hopefully came with hot sauce, to fly in and land at their feet. This was the menu they had in the promised land. That was the menu for the season they were in. But sometimes when the season changes, so does the menu. You'll go to a restaurant, certain restaurants, they have seasonal menus. And up until recently, the summer menu was in effect. And you go to some menu, they've already switched to the fall menu. And so there are times where God will switch things up because the season has changed. The children of Israel went from getting the Krispy Kreme donuts from heaven every day and the quail that flew in to now they're going to have to put their hand 
to the plow and the promised land to receive an abundant harvest. They had to change. They had to reorganize. They had to restructure. So one of the things I've been doing all summer long is working on restructuring and reorganizing this entire organization so that it becomes exactly what it needs to be to effectively and efficiently fulfill what God has called us to do. Some of the changes you'll hear this month, other things you'll see later on this year as we go into 2019, because what we're going to do is we're going to prepare for our future. So some of the things we normally do in the year, we may not do. Why? We're preparing for the future. Some of the things we normally do, we'll do less of to prepare for our future. And some things we won't even do at all. Why? We have our vision and mission in mind. So for the people to take the promised land, they had to exit the wilderness and their prior mentality. They had to change and accept changes and do things differently. In a similar way, there are changes we'll make here, and we have to go forward with those changes. After Joshua received his command from God, he went and spoke to the people. Notice how the people replied to what Joshua had received from God. Whatever you say to do, we will do. Wherever you say to go, we will go. This is the whatever it takes, I'm all in attitude. One of the reasons they were able to take the promised land is because they had this whatever it takes, I'm all in attitude. It was different from the previous generation. They were scared. They had all kinds of excuses and reasons. This generation says, whatever it takes, I'm all in. That's why they possess the promised land. Go to Isaiah chapter 60. God looks for whatever it takes. I'm all in people. He looks for people with dedication and commitment. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. And I believe he's found a group of people here at faith with dedication and commitment. Isaiah 60. Verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Now, when I begin to look at some of these words in the Hebrew, they had some interesting definitions. So, rise, yes, we know, get up. But the word shine means to be luminous, to give light, but it also means to set on fire. Why? Get up and give light and set, set things on fire. Why? For your light or your illumination has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Glory is defined by the Hebrew word as heavy with everything good. Why do they have to rise and shine? Why do they have to set things on fire and give forth light? For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall rise upon you, and his glory shall be seen upon you. When it says arise, it also means to radiate and shoot forth beams. So the glory that's going to come on them wasn't just for them. It's going to pierce the darkness. And what is the result of them shining and setting things on fire in this darkness? What is the result of them igniting and shining? The Gentiles, those who don't know God, those who have a covenant with God, will come to your light. And kings through the brightness of your rising, the brightness of your shining, the brightness of how you radiate the glory of God. And so when we see darkness cover the earth, it means to cover and overwhelm. And we live in a day and age where darkness has covered the earth. And thick darkness, or thick cloud, as it also says, covers the people of the earth. You see, in this information age, we live in a post-Christian and a post-post-modern culture. We live in a post-Christian and a post-post-modern culture. Now, post-Christian does not mean non-Christian. Post-Christian does not mean non-Christian. All it means is the society and culture has moved past Christianity 
but still maintains some of its customs, traditions, holidays, and forms. To use a Pauline phrase, it's a form of religion with no power. Because Americans are very religious by nature, but it doesn't mean there's power. So it was a post-Christian culture that you ask the majority of Americans, if you ask them, well, what do you believe? Oh, I'm a Christian. They may not be saved. They ain't going to heaven. But they identify as a Christian because it was a cultural thing to do. But it's a post-Christian culture. Now, what do we mean by post-postmodern culture? It is an age of relativism. To use the phrase from the book of Judges and the book of Ruth, everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Or to use how they say it today, everyone lives by their own truth. That person has a truth. That person has a truth. Like Oprah handing out gifts. You have a truth. You have a truth. You have a truth. Everything is relative. It may be true for me, but it's not true for you. So everybody lives by their own version of fake news. Everybody picks what truth they're going to live by and call it true even if it's fake. That's the age of the post-postmodernism. That's relativism. Truth is defined by whoever wants to define truth. So think about it this way. In this age of post-postmodernism, post-Christian culture, how is the church in America faring? Here's some statistics I found. Every year, more than 4,000 churches close their doors compared to just over 1,000 new church starts. Every year, 4,000 churches close their doors and only 1,000 open. One report said that given the declining numbers and closures of churches as compared to new church starts, there should have been over 38,000 new churches commissioned to keep up with the population growth. In other words, by this report, we are negative 38,000 churches to what's needed. The United States now ranks third following China and India in the number of people who are not professing Christians. In other words, the U.S. is becoming an ever-increasing unreached people group. It's to a point now that Africa and Asia and Europe send us missionaries. And they come here and say, I'm a missionary to America because y'all need Jesus. That's how it's become. When I'm looking at these statistics and I'm looking at how people believe and what's going on in America, the increasing group that's increasing on the religious scale are those who identify as nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Not atheists, not agnostic, no affiliation. That doesn't mean they're not religious. doesn't mean they're not spiritual. They just don't identify and claim anything. And that's growing because it's the age of relativism. Now, imagine the people who grow up in this era. Because you think back to 9-11, 17 years ago. When that happened, majority of Americans rushed to church. There was no church service that night, but people were in church. Church was full on Sunday. Why? America's religious. Something bad happens, you better go see Jesus. But now that you're in a post-Christian, post-postmodern culture, why do they, they don't even don the doors of the church? Why? Because, you know, someone wears an inappropriate outfit to a funeral and people talk about them on social media. Why would they go to church? Church is not relative. Church doesn't relate to them because they've not met a real Christian. 
So in this era, you have the millennials. All millennials are adults now. All millennials are voting age. There's no more millennial children. They're all 18 or older, which is the largest generation America has ever seen by millions. Then coming up behind them is Generation Z. All the kids in high school, middle school, elementary school, all the babies are Generation Z. And outside the U.S. and four other countries, they are the largest generation the world has ever seen. And they're catching up to millennials fast. They've already passed them except in five countries. And so as of next year, 62% of the population will either be millennial or Generation Z. And in the American context, they're growing up in a society that's post-Christian and in post-postmodernism. Imagine the effect that's having on our young people. Because also, remember, this group that's in high school and below that's growing up, they don't know a day without internet. <laughs> we can think back to before Wi-Fi, before high-speed internet access, when the AOL CD came in the mail and he put it in, you got mail, beep, 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 it's connecting. Go get some coffee, go eat a meal, in about 20 minutes, it should be connected. We remember back then. We remember to an age before cell phones. Some of you remember pay phones. Some of you remember rotary phones. If you took a rotary phone to some of these kids in 620 or the kids would go, ooh, what is that? What museum did you get that from? Why? Technology has sped up. So you got to think, all of our kids are media consumers. Not from the age of five, eight. They're media consumers from two. My toddler is a media consumer. She knows what she wants to watch and what she doesn't want to watch. And so with this... We can tell them this is the truth, where then they can Google and say, well, the PhD says this. Well, so-and-so in this country says this. Who am I to believe? Think about it. And so our approach in order to minister effectively to our kids and our teenagers has to change. And so we began the change already. We got brought, bought new curriculum for our Kids World Kids at the end of last year. We began to implement it in the spring of this year. And so the implementation has been going on, and there's another stage to it that you'll see later this fall. Why? We want to make sure it's effective in connecting to them. Because remember, at one point, if you've ever served in kids' ministry, because I served in kids' ministry a few years, that puppets were breaking technology. Well, the puppets are popular. Puppets are breaking technology. But now they look at a puppet like, really? Where's my phone? I want to play Fortnite. Why am I looking at a puppet? One of the things we also began to change, we changed how we did youth camp. For 24 years, we did it the same way, and then we did something different this year. Why? Because we researched what do our kids need. How do we get to that point? After the last few youth camp, I went and sat down with the teenagers. What do y'all think? What do you need? What do you want? And so we changed how we did it. And so we had this youth camp that went on in June that went so well, parents came up to me and said, look, you can add an extra day, we'll pay the difference. It worked. I don't know who that child is. Let's do it again. Can we do two a year? <laughs> what? It was effective. Why? Because now we're seeing what do they need. What's going to minister the word to them in a way they can receive it? And we have to have that same concept to understand that God is not married to methods. People are. The Holy Ghost gives people one way, and they fall in love with that method. When the Holy Ghost says, I need you to do something else, they don't want to leave. And so the method becomes their God and not God. And so if we're really going to move with God, we have to move with the Holy Ghost when he tells us to change, when he tells us to shift, when he tells us to go into the future. 
Because if you always look to the past and hold on to the past, you'll never be in the future. People build denominations of what happened in the past. But what about the future? And see, this thing is not just an issue with millennials or Generation Z. Because Gen X don't believe the same anymore either. Neither do baby boomers. The world is changing. And I, for one, as a leader of Faith Christian Center, is not going to let this church become blockbuster. So we think about, oh, don't you remember on Friday night, man, going to Blockbuster on Friday night was great back in the day. Video games, DVDs, oh, man, that's pizza night. It's great. But now, you talk to some of those kids over there at Blockbuster, what's that? Who was that? You know, you walk through a field and you find an old Blockbuster car. Ooh, look at that fossil. <laughs> they refuse to move with the times. But the thing is, we don't just have to move with the times even though we do. We have the Holy Ghost who tells us things to come. And so we can move with him and he'll prepare us for things to come so we don't have to be surprised by a trend that comes. We're already prepared for it. And so some of the things I'm going to share with you today is a result of at least a year of praying. Last year I started praying, okay, where do you want us to go? How do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? A lot of times when I went on vacation, it took some days off. I would wake up in the morning and I would go walk and pray in the Holy Ghost for hours, praying in the Holy Ghost. He said, oh, God must have said a lot. Not always. Sometimes a couple hours, oh, he didn't say anything today. Okay, I'll keep praying. What I'm doing, I'm praying out what God's called us to do. And then he'll give me specific instructions. Okay, get this group together. Talk to these people. And we began a process that's led us to this day to what we're going to do in the future. So we see these stats and other things that are going on in our community, in our state, in our nation, and we can see that gross darkness has covered and overwhelmed the earth and a thick cloud of darkness sits on the people. But, see, you got to love it when the Bible says but. Jesus was dead three days, but on the third day he rose. Although darkness is on the earth, we have been called to get up, ignite, and shine. For the glory of the Lord is upon us. And as we shine, as we radiate the glory of God, people who don't know God will come to us. Even their kings will come to the brightness of our shining, of our radiating. So we must make sure we're following the Holy Ghost and not following tradition and custom. We have to know it is our responsibility to ignite and shine. It's not our responsibility to hide out in the church house saying, well, come on, Lord Jesus, come back one day. He will come back one day, but what are you going to do until he comes back? He's not coming for a defeated church. He's coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, a church that's shining just like him. The Bible tells us to walk in the light even as he's in the light. We have to shine. Go to Genesis 15. It is our responsibility to ignite and shine. We must have the attitude of the generation that possessed the promised land, that whatever it takes, God, we are all in. Say all in. in. Genesis 15. Genesis 15, verse 1. And after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? See, I go childless, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me you have given no seed, 
And lo, one born of my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be your heir, but he that shall come forth of your own bowels shall be your heir. And he brought him forth abroad, or he took him outside of his tent, and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if you be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall your seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted to him for righteousness. Abraham was in his tent and couldn't see the stars. God took him outside and put a vision in front of his eyes, the stars. He said, can he count the stars? No. That's how many kids and descendants you're going to have. Abraham had no proof of that. He didn't have one child, so how could he have as many children and descendants as the stars are in the sky? But because God said it, he believed it. And God counted to him as righteousness. And so one of the things is we can get so caught up in the day-to-day routines of our lives that we miss the promises of God because we're in our tent. We have to learn to look up and see the stars. Even as a personal example, and now me and my wife have been leading this church for almost five years now, and we stepped in, we stepped into a very interesting situation. Some of you have been here less than two years. Well, interesting situation. Don't worry about it. And so when we stepped in, it's not like you stepped into a bed of roses. We stepped in some muck. And in dealing with some of the muck, there'll be days after we get about the stars. But the Holy Ghost is so good. Because he had sent a friend of mine and said, hey, Carrick, what about this? And it reminded me of stuff he told me. There would be people who called me. I hadn't talked to them in eight years. I forgot they even had my cell phone number. They had my cell phone number in college. And so they called me and said, hey, the Holy Ghost put me on your heart. And I just believe he said this, and it was encouraging me what I needed to hear to look at the stars again. To not be so look at the muck, don't in the tent, step out and look at the stars. Because where God is taking us in the next 25 years cannot be contained in our tent. Where God is taking us in the next 25 years, we can't look at our past. Where God is taking us, we have to step outside and look at the stars. The vision God has given us is as powerful and as vast and as bright as the stars in heaven. And we choose to believe God and it shall be seen. God is going to do so many things here that people will stand in awe and wonder at the goodness of our God. See, if it's a vision you can do by yourself in your own power, your might, and your strategy, it doesn't take faith. And if it doesn't take faith, that didn't come from God. You need a vision that takes every faith you got and all the faith you're going to get. And that's where we're going with this vision. All the faith we have, all the faith we're going to get, it's not going to be my might, not going to be my power, but it's going to be by His Spirit It's going to come to pass. We're about to do some wonderful things that are going to make people go, how in the world did that? The Spirit of God. Faith in Jesus. We're going to radiate. We're going to shine. We're going to ignite. And whatever it takes, we have to be all in. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Verse 42. Scripture we looked at a lot in our Go Viral series. Acts 2, 42. We know this is right after the supernatural catch. The Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches. 3,000 people get saved. And notice what verse 42 says, and they, some of the greatest heroes in the Bible, the 3,000, the 120, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. 
Now, when we read through the book of Acts and we study it, we always talk about the Acts of the Holy Ghost, because you can call the book the Acts of the Holy Ghost and be accurate. We just look at what the Holy Ghost did. We look at the gifts of the Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit, the moving of the Spirit, and we should. But the moving of the Spirit was not the only reason the early church was successful. When we study the book, we can look at the first half, Peter's life, led the ministry. The last book half is about Paul. But if we miss what happened in verse 42, we miss one of the reasons the early church was successful. And some of the keys to that success is found in this phrase, continued steadfastly. Because we see continued steadfastly, we just read this is what they continued to did. But as I looked at that word and that phrase in the Greek, it means to be devoted to and to persevere and not faint. It means to be devoted to, to persevere, and not faint. So the word devotion means love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. It's love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. It is the use of time, money, energy for a particular purpose. It is zealous or ardent in attachment, loyalty, and affection. It's the use of time, money, energy, and et cetera for a particular purpose. It's zealous or ardent in attachment, loyalty, or affection. That word doctrine we see there means teaching. The word fellowship means partnership. So the early church was devoted and enthusiastic about the apostles' teaching. They were enthusiastic about the word of God. They came to receive the word. Then they went to do the word. They were excited about the word of God. They weren't skipping Sundays because they were sleepy. They're like, oh, we're going to get the word. Oh, man, Peter brought it today. Man, John let it rip. Hashtag Matthew brought it today. They were excited about the word. They're enthusiastic about the word, enthusiastic in doing the word. But they're also enthusiastic and devoted to, it says next, fellowship or partnership. They partner with the mission the Holy Ghost gave the early apostles. They put their time, their energy, their money, and their talent in helping that vision and mission come to pass. You see, next, in the breaking of bread, that's also part of fellowship. They were enthusiastic about doing life together because they understood the concept, we are better together. They weren't islands. It wasn't all on Peter. It wasn't all on James. It wasn't all on John. They said, we got this together. All the issues weren't on just these leaders to handle. The church did it. Oh, brother, so-and-so needs help. We got it. Sister, so-and-so needs help. We got it. Because they brought an issue to the apostles. They said, look, we ain't going to leave praying and studying the word to handle this issue. You pick out seven men full of faith and the Holy Ghost. Bring them to us. We'll lay hands on them. This is how we're going to handle it. And that's how you see this team faith ministry begin in the book of Acts, and then the church multiplied. They were serious about doing life together and looking out for each other. Then also says they were devoted, enthusiastic, and putting the time and the energy in prayers. Now, we pray here, but we're about to pray some more in the future. Why? Because where we're going, it's going to take a whole lot of prayer. Why? Prayer is not just communication with God. Prayer is also partnering with God. There are times where you're praying, you're partnering with God, and God is praying through you so his will can come to pass on the earth. And so although we're not 21 days of prayer right now, we'll have another 40 days of prayer at the beginning of the year, and we're going to increase the time we spend praying here because a prayer success will lead to a success in the natural. Prayer produces power. And we have to be enthusiastic in our prayer life, enthusiastic in doing life together, enthusiastic in parting with a vision, enthusiastic about the Word of God. 
Because this early church was enthusiastic and devoted and dedicated to these four things, the church grew and multiplied. This attitude of the early church being devoted, enthusiastic, is an all-in attitude. Whatever it takes, they were all in. They did whatever it took for the will of God to be done. This dedication and this attitude, just like those who possess the promised land, is why the Holy Ghost could keep moving and partnering with them and cause what needed to happen to come to pass. Go to Philippians chapter 3. We must have an all-in attitude. Say, we must have an all-in attitude. Because everybody wants their pastor to be all in. They want their pastor to be all in. They want their pastor to be dedicated. They want their pastor to be committed. But there should be equal commitment from the membership. That if the pastor's all in, the membership is all in. Because it's all of us together. Because if we all work together in heaven, we'll all recognize together. It's not just the pastor. Jesus doesn't look at the pastor. He looks at everybody. When you read the book of Revelation... It says that Jesus was inspecting the church, not just the pastor. It says when he talked about that visitation, he walked through the church aisles and looked at every single member and then brought a report to the pastor. Sometimes he was addressing the pastor. Other times he says, Jesus even called people out by name in the book of Revelation. Now, look, if Jesus has to call out your name in Scripture or give you a bad nickname, you know you need to get your life right. (laughs) Philippians chapter 3. It's all of us together. We're better together. Because as we see in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians, we all do our part. The body grows in love. It increases in love, it says in Ephesians. We're all members of the body, part of the global body of Christ, but also this local body believers here at faith. And when one member hurts, we all hurt. When one person doesn't do that part, we all suffer. But when we all come together, we all succeed together. We all profit with all. We're better together together. Say, we're better together. Together. So Philippians 3 verse 13, Paul says, brethren, I count not myself to apprehend it, but this one thing, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. You read early part of chapter 3, he's not just forgetting bad things. Yes, we should forget bad things. Yes, we should forget some negative things that have happened to us. But sometimes what keeps people from succeeding in their future is past success. Because they succeed in the past, well, I think I know what I'm doing, so I can do what I want to do, to keep doing the same thing over. And they wonder why success isn't happening. Sometimes you got to leave things in the past so you can look at the future. There's a reason why your windshield is bigger than your rearview mirror. Because if you keep looking in the rearview mirror, you are going to crash. We can be thankful for what God's done in the past. And every time we think about it, we're grateful. We're thankful for the victories we've had. We're thankful for the successes we have. We're thankful for the things Jesus has cleansed and forgiven us and canceled and fixed for us because we were crazy. But we can't stay, take all of our time and make a museum and a denomination to the past. We must go forward with the Holy Ghost. And Paul says, I forget those things that are behind me and I reach forward unto those things which are before. I press. This word press means to press forward. This is beyond just moving forward. It is applying pressure in order to go forward. If you have to apply pressure to go forward, that means there's something resisting you. And because it's resisting you, you don't just quit. Oh, there's some resistance. I'm going to push till this thing moves. It's like the gridiron football players are, and they're pushing that thing across the field. And the same way Paul says, I am pushing until I get what I'm after. 
What is he pressing towards? What is he applying pressure towards? What is he pushing towards? The mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That word mark, mark means goal. Paul said, I am pressing toward my goal. This is an attitude, whatever it takes, I'm all in. I'm going to press and reach my goal. We've talked about Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, how he said, I become all things to all people that I might win some. To the Gentiles, I became a Gentile. To the Jew, to the Jews. To the weak, the weak. I did whatever it took that I might win some people to Jesus. Paul has an all-in attitude that whatever it takes, I'm all in. I'm going to press. Now, how did this attitude serve Paul? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. What was the result of Paul's whatever it takes, I'm all in attitude? What was the result of him pressing forward? 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 6. The last letter the apostle Paul wrote. It's at the end of his life. Because he said in the book of Acts, I'm going to finish my course with joy. So now... In 2 Timothy 4, he says, for I'm ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He says, I'm ready to go. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. We should all have the desire that at the end of our lives, should Jesus tear, we said, we did everything you wanted us to do, Jesus. We didn't miss one thing. We did everything. We have finished our course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. This is what Paul is pressing for which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but all them that love his appearing. So Paul is so confident, when I cross over, I'm getting the crown. He had this confidence at the end of his life. Why? He pressed. He applied pressure. He said, whatever it takes, I'm all in. So now as I breathe my last breaths, as I get ready to be offered, I'm going to my reward. This attitude served Paul well, and this attitude will serve us well. For us to do what God has called us to do here at Faith, we have to remember, number one, we have to have a whatever-it-takes, I'm-all-in attitude. Say, all-in. Number two, it is our God-given responsibility to ignite and shine. Number three, we must keep the vision in front of our eyes and believe God like Abraham. Number four, we must be devoted and dedicated to the teaching of the Word, partnering with each other. And the mission, doing life together and praying. And number five, with our devotion, we must press forward with the all-in mentality of doing whatever it takes to do what God has called us to do. So we must do whatever it takes to do what God has called us to do. So you ready for the vision statement? So our new vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. To ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. That word ignite means to catch fire or cause to catch fire. We want to ignite an awakening. What's an awakening? It's an act of waking from sleep. Someone say, stay woke. An act or moment of becoming suddenly aware of something. A renewal of interest in religion, especially in a community, a revival. There's many people who pray for awakenings and awakening from an awakening, waiting for an awakening to drop down from heaven, but that's not where it's coming from. Awakening came from heaven. He moved on the inside of you. Now, what are you going to do with the awakening that's in your spirit? 
We're not waiting on a move of God. We are a move of God. When we move, God moves because he moved on the inside of us. A lot of times I say, oh, I'm waiting on God to move. No, he's waiting on you to move. It's our responsibility to ignite an awakening, to set things on fire with Holy Ghost fire, to start an awakening that wakes up and impacts this state. As we learn in Isaiah 60, it is our responsibility to ignite. We're not waiting on heaven to ignite it. Because heaven already ignited fire on the inside of us. And as we learn from the Old Testament, whatever fire the Holy Ghost ignites, it's our job to maintain. In order to ignite an awakening that impacts the state, we cannot contain our works all still in Cobb County. We must fill and surround this state in order to impact it. We will do this through the power of the love of Jesus. With the words power and love, we are stating we are a church that believes in the move of the Holy Ghost and being a church that is known for loving others just like Jesus. We will be a church known for walking in love. To achieve each vision, there must be a clear mission expressed in a mission statement. To achieve each vision, there must be a clear mission expressed in a mission statement. By repeatedly fulfilling the mission statement, we can achieve the vision. By repeatedly fulfilling the mission statement, we can achieve the vision. So our new mission statement is as follows. To create an environment where anyone can experience the love of God, understand his word, and become part of a family who radically impacts our communities and the world. To create an environment where anyone can experience the love of God, understand his word, and become part of a family who radically impacts our communities and the world. You see, an environment is created by what you do continually. It's not what you do once, it's about what you do continually. That's how you create an environment. So when we say where anyone can experience the love of God, we are stating our desire for faith to be a place where people encounter the love of God through us and in our experience to such an extent that they leave with a working definition of love just because they came to church and saw how we lived out the love of God. If they've never experienced love in their entire life, they walked into this building, they met us, they came to our experience, and now they know what love is because they came and saw us once. That's how strong and how much our love has to overflow in this place. When we say understand his word, we are reiterating our call as a teaching ministry that not only brings people into the kingdom of God, but grows them into mature believers through the line upon line, precept upon precept, creative teaching of the word of God. The word of God makes the difference. You don't have to be a church that gets people saved and another church that grows people up. You can do both if you walk in both streams of that anointing. And it's our job to teach as well as to win. We are a teaching ministry. We are committed to being a high-level training facility that teaches people in the Word of God that develops special forces the Holy Ghost can use. When we say become a part of our family, we are speaking of the importance of doing life together and connecting with one another. As we said two weeks ago, we are better together. Small groups will play a role in our efforts of connecting people to our family of faith. We have to do this together. We have to look out for one another. In this day and age, it's easy for Satan to snipe off lone wolves. We have to stick together. When we say radically impacts our communities and the world, we are stating that we are committed to being a church that positively impacts our communities and maintains a global influence. With this refining of vision comes a rebranded look 
that represents who we are and where we are going. You guys can go ahead and put it on the screen. In this new logo, there is a rectangular shield based on the Roman shield that the Apostle Paul used to describe the shield of faith in Ephesians chapter 6, where it says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith we'll be able to quench all the fiery darts on the wicked. On that shield, you notice a series of arrows pointing upward. This reminds us that we're always going from faith to faith, strength to strength, glory to glory, and always moving higher in what God has called us to do. Also, you see the Faith Christian Center seal. On that seal, you see a tribute to our foundation and our past. This seal will be used on official documents that come from our office and for other things. Over the next few months, we will roll out the rebranded look on a larger scale. This rebranded look represents where we are going and the environment, our mission states we are creating. We also already have hoodies and t-shirts ready if you go to the FCC store website and you can go ahead and order yours. But we create this environment that this look is representing. Every faith experience, as we come together to experience God, experience his word, experience his presence, and experience his love. We maintain that environment by keeping the mission and the vision in front of our eyes and being devoted and committed to carrying it out. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure or deposit in earthen vessels. What is the treasure or the deposit? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God, the glory of God himself. That the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. We are carriers of the glory. There are things God will do in our experiences where the Holy Ghost moves and he'll deposit something in your spirit. There are words that are spoken in this experience that God will deposit in your spirit. That God will do things in the experience that are supernatural. He'll put things on the inside of you. Not for you to leave here and say, I'll pick it up when I come back to church before you to carry it with you. See, we expand the environment we are creating here as we carry the experience from church house to wherever we go. The experience is not just for this building. We must carry the experience. Because as we carry the experience, we become experience makers. Because if we believe enough of what God is doing here, we carry it with us. What God did here on Sunday stays with us throughout the week. So when people come in contact with us, they experience our God because our God lives in us and we let him work through us. We have to be experience makers. Because as we carry the experience and become experience makers, we ignite an awakening. Because imagine even if the natural, if you had couple hundred just small flickers of flame go to many places, you will have a mass fire. And you're more than a small flicker of flame. You have the glory of God on the inside of you. You're called to ignite things and set things on fire with Holy Ghost fire. And so if we're dedicated to the mission of taking this experience wherever we go, Holy Ghost outbreaks happen wherever you go. And we ignite this awakening. Go to Mark chapter 16, verse 19. Mark 16, verse 19. Mark 16, verse 19. 
So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they, the heroes, went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with. Notice them as italicized, if you have a print Bible, which means it was added by the translator so you can take it out or leave it at your leisure. So for this example, let's take it out. The Lord working with and confirming the word with signs following, amen. So who is the Lord working with? The word. Signs follow the people who have the word. Signs aren't just supposed to follow me. They're supposed to follow you. And so if you keep the word, if you receive the word, if you do the word, signs will follow you too when the Lord will work with you. It's not just supposed to be the Lord working with the pastor to get things done. It's the Lord working with all of us. And if we all do what God has called us to do, we can ignite this awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. With this mission, we have to fill the state and surround the state. So we will be one church in many locations that spreads across Georgia and the southeastern United States. We will open satellite locations on the south side of Atlanta. We will open up locations in the heart of Atlanta. We'll open up locations in Macon and Savannah. We will take our faith experiences from Chattanooga to Augustus, from Asheville to Valdosta, and from Columbus to Athens. We will fill and surround this state. We'll be one church and many locations. Now, look, listen to what these locations will include. Every location will include a locally focused outreach center. Because when he goes to different areas, different areas have different requirements of what that culture needs. So we're not just going to take a stamp and say, well, they must need this. No, we're going to research and make sure the outreach center we have is what that area needs. Each area will have a faith Bible institute so people can grow in the Word of God. But also each area will have a faith Christian school. Faith Christian school will educate students in a Christ-centered faith-based, apologetically trained environment with an emphasis in excellence in the arts and technology. Faith Christian School will educate students in a Christ-centered, faith-based, apologetically trained environment with an emphasis in excellence in the arts and technology. We will be a church that impacts our communities and maintains a global influence. We will develop to a place where we hold monthly international crusades that strengthen the global body of Christ, feed the poor, and educate the population. When I'm talking about these global crusades, I'm not just talking about, oh, well, there goes pastor, pray for him as he goes this month. No, so that's how we start, but some of y'all got to come with me. Because I see us taking nurses, business professionals, entrepreneurs, Teams of people that at night we teach the word of God, the Holy Ghost moves, people are healed, delivered, and set free and saved. But also during the day we have workshops teaching people business principles, teaching people how to start businesses, and nurses running medical facilities to minister to the natural side of man. Not one person doing it, but we're doing it together. That some areas of the world, they don't need an evangelistic crusade. They need someone to teach. They need people to grow them in the word. So whatever nation and place the Holy Ghost sends us will go with that mission to fulfill what God has called us to do. This is where we're going in our next 25 years. This mission and vision is beyond one man. One of the things that was big on my wife's heart and my heart when we took over, we wanted y'all to know this is not the Carrick Butler or the Raquel Butler show. It ain't about us. This is all about Jesus and what he has called us to do. We still hope we're going to make him famous because we're going to do what he's called us to do. 
It's us together doing what God has called us to do so we can do what he's called us to do to make an awakening happen in this thing. We're not waiting on it anymore. We're going to go start it. But in order to do what God has called us to do, in order to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus, it's going to take a group of dedicated and devoted experience makers that through generosity, prayer, and service fulfill the vision by establishing churches throughout Georgia and the Southeast, by partnering with the community and surrounding schools, businesses, and governments, and by expanding its reach through the ever-changing landscape of media and social media. Because if we adopt a strategy of the past of how to reach people through media, we'll get left behind. The media has already changed. It's about to change again. And so we have a strategy. Things we're working out. Things you'll see in the future to make sure we have a presence as the media and social media changes. We are going to do what God has called us to do. Why? Our times demand us to rise up and embrace what God has placed in front of us. We are here for such a time as this. We are faith and we're building the future of faith together. And together as we move forward with an all-in attitude, we can accomplish this and so much more. We are better together because we are faith. This is what we're doing. This is where we're going. And we'll apply pressure and we'll press toward the mark. We'll press toward each goal. And when we get to heaven, we'll all be rewarded together. This is what we're called to do. We're not content to stay in these four walls and have a nice church experience. Oh, isn't Jesus good? Let's change some things. Let's ignite an awakening. But we all have to be all in. So stand to your feet. It's going to take all of us. Not just me, not just First Lady, all of us together, all of us devoted together, all of us with a mentality, whatever it takes, I'm all in. Is anybody all in with me? This is where we're going. This is what God's called us to do. And this is what's going to come to pass. So, man, this is a big vision. Yes, it is because we serve a big God. We dream big dreams and pray big prayers because our God is bigger than our dreams and our prayers. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.